Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Right and left, before and behind, the fen lay shrouded. It was past four o'clock and New Year's Eve. The snow that had fallen all day gave back a glimmering greyness to a sky like lead. I'm sorry, said Whimsy. Whereabouts do you suppose we've got to, Bunter? The manservant consulted a map in the ray of an electric torch. I think, my lord, we must have run off the proper road at Leamholt. Unless I am much mistaken, we must be near Fenchurch, St Paul. Dun, dun, dun. I was looking forward to your Lord Peter Whimsy impression. Peter Whimsy. Peter Whimsy. Peter Whimsy. Well, I know him very well. Nail game and Peter Whimsy. Don't you call him Peter? Peter. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that is curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode, we take a book out for a walk into the wild to try and find out whether the world of fiction matches up with the real world. Hello, I'm Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and a producer of immersive fiction. I'm Bunter, sorry, Lloyd Shepherd. I'm a writer and digital producer. And this episode, we are doing a very famous book, another great book by a grand name of detective fiction, The Nine Tailors by Dorothy L. Sayers. That's right. And do you know what The Nine Tailors is? Well, I do now. But I didn't I know what I started. Would. Yeah. But the listeners probably don't know what The Nine Tailors are. No. The Nine Tailors is the sequence of bells that you ring when somebody dies. Ding, ding. Yeah. I heard that six tailors for women, nine tailors for men, traditionally. Really? Apparently. And then after you've done the six or the nine, you ding out the age Every, at which they die yep. so that then the locals will know roughly who it is. Roughly who it is without, without having to figure also it out. Also, they'll know if there's been a death of a child, for example, yeah. which yeah. will be grim. Yeah. But that's what it is. And it, this novel's got a lot of bell ringing in it. Oh, yes. Bell ringing is very much the centre. We're going to go into detail on bell ringing. I think there are, two, uh, there are two big overarching themes to this book. One is bell ringing and the other is the fens. Yes. We visited the Fens. Yes. Uh, We're going to take you on an amazing trip amazing across the Fens. Amazing trip across an extraordinary landscape in the east of England. Mm. Because um, basically this is, a, this is a book about a murder that takes place in the village of Fenchurch St. Paul, mm-hmm. somewhere in the Fens. And Lord Peter Whimsey has managed to drive... Fictional Lord. <laughs> he's managed to drive his car off the road <laughs> and then and is stranded in this village in a snowstorm. On New Year's Eve. And then discovers that something bad has happened. 
uh, after he's done some epic bell ringing. Yeah. Well, nothing bad happens that then, does it? No, you only later. discover something bad has happened later, like four months later. That's right. When uh, the there's, a, there's been a grave disturbance. That's uh, right, a, a grave disturbance. A grave disturbance, <laughs> like I did there. Very good. Yeah. And then he's summoned back to help solve the crime. Because by this time, he's a national figure known for solving crimes. How, yeah, and he's good at everything. He's good at everything. He's quite a weird character, Apart from not being annoying. Well, obviously Dorothy L. Sayers really likes him. Well, he, well the, people said that she was obsessed with him, didn't she? She was almost in love with him. But he's terrible at driving. He crashes his car in the first two pages. <laughs> he hasn't got a roof on his car, so he's terrible at you know motoring technology. Yeah, I just find it quite annoying. He's very funny. In I read uh, Murder Must Advertise as well. He manages to just get a job in an advertising agency and clearly doesn't fit in and has no experience of being a copywriter in advertising, but gets the job and and in order to solve a crime of someone falling down the stairs. He's a genuine archetype of imposter syndrome not affecting the rich and the privately educated, (laughs) right? It's fantastic. So where are we going first, Tim? Well, we're going to go to the village where she grew up because her father was rector of Bluntisham, which St. Mary's. just on the edge of the fence as you come out of Cambridge, really. Yeah. And he was, guess what, obsessed with bells. Great heavens, exclaimed Whimsy. Is that your church? Yes, indeed, said the rector, with pride. You find it impressive? Impressive, said Whimsy. Why, it's like a young cathedral. I'd no idea. How big is your parish, then? You'll see surprise when I tell you, said the rector with a chuckle. Three hundred and forty souls. No more. Today's Radio 4 play <laughs> is brought to you <laughs> from the county of Huntingdonshire. Mate, I've, I've written four Radio 4 plays. So uh, that's, uh, that's allowed. He do all the voices. Uh, he do all the voices. I'm, I'm Lord Peter Whimsey today. I'm... I'm uh... What's the bunter? Yeah, you're his Batman. Um, I'm the you're Batman. You're Bunter. Bungho. Kitchen. Where are we? Okay, I'll just describe the scene to you, uh, listener, because it's it's rather amazing. It is. We are stood in a churchyard, a very impressive church tower looming over us. Behind us, I can see flat lands going off into the horizon. Trees. I think I can see one spire in the distance. I think I can see another church spire over there. But it's flat. I can see the edge of a great big body of water that's frozen because it's very, very cold. All the trees are covered in frost. The sun is out. And we're standing outside St Mary's Church. Here come the geese. In Bluntisham. 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 On the edges, I think we could say this is the edges of the the fens. The Great Fen. The Great Fen. Or the Great Level. Yeah. And this is the church at which... The father of the writer who we're talking about was rector. Correct. Dorothy L. Sayers. She grew up here and her, her father restored the bells, you were telling me? He restored. The, he did a lot of work on the church. And in fact, one of the bells, of the eight bells, and there that's eight significant, bells, just there, there are eight are bells in, church in here that he refurbished. One of them is dedicated to him. Well, the other thing that I thought when we came in was there's a, there's a bit in the book where uh, he goes up to the tower... No, Hillary goes up to the tower. That's right, Hillary Thorpe, which you can see a kind of hollow in the churchyard yeah. where one of the bells was cast. That's and there's a hollow here where we're standing. There is a, yeah, a little bit. It would be more likely to be cast in this field over the side of the wall. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that unusual. 
No. I looked it up in Norfolk, and there were quite a lot of itinerant bell makers. Really? They just wandered around. You want, you want a bell, mate? And then they would make it... <laughs> they do drives now, do they? <laughs> but then they would... Because they didn't have their own... I'm calling you about this bell you cast for me. <laughs> doesn't seem to work. <laughs> Have you been a victim of bell fraud? <laughs> exactly. It's a bell scheme. Not a pyramid scheme, it's a bell scheme. Well, it's a spectacular church surrounded by graves. One of the things that is said about the churchyard by the various bloggers is that she got the inspiration for some of the character names in the book from the uh, well, church, churchyard. Well, it's such a strong assertion. And yet, when you're walking around, I've got the names here, right? So the, the bell ringers are called... Walter Pratt. You're going to read the names of all the characters. Ezra Wilderspin. <laughs> Will Thoday. Hezekiah Lavender. Jack Godfrey. Joe Hinkins and Harry Gotobed. Yeah. They're the bell ringers. I was hoping to find a Gotobed. Yeah. He's no, also well, the sexton, right? Well, I, I, I found some Russells. And I found some Godfreys. Well, yeah, and obviously the lots church warden was a Godfrey. Yeah, lots of so, Godfreys. Um, but I didn't find any other names. Well, to be fair... There are an awful lot of old gravestones here that are just completely worn blank. Yeah. Or almost, I mean, illegible at least. So maybe in the 1920s you could have read them. Yeah. But I don't believe anybody writing a blog Has in the noughties yeah. came round here and found the Wilderspins, the Lavenders and the Thodays. Where are they? Come on, it tell feels, me where they it are. It feels like one of those uh, chain memes that's just... That people be- have sort of believed it, but yeah. I can't. We, can, we haven't looked at every gravestone. Listener, we looked at most of them, but we have looked at quite a lot, yeah. and uh, they're not, not jumping out at us. The key point about this place, obviously, is she grew up here. Her dad's a rector. Her dad's into bell ringing and refurbishing the bells. And just down the road is an enormous sluice. Yeah, very good. Okay, but no wilderspins, no, no go to beds, and no thodays. Can't see him. Oh. What ho? Seasonable for the time of the year, what? It's no way to be walking abroad. No, not intentional, I assure you. Good evening. Could we have two large whiskies, if you please, with hot water? What about you, Edgar? That's extremely kind of you, sir, but to uh... keep out the cold. Well, put like that, perhaps a small cherry brand. Splendid. The old car decided to run off the road about half a mile back. <laughs> oh, forgive me, my name is Whimsy, by the way, Peter Whimsy. So you said to me you thought Dorothy L. Sayers was more sort of strange and bonkers than Agatha Christie. I was a bit surprised by that. I did say to you, but that was a private conversation. Oh, sorry. No, I'm joking. Now, I realise um, all, all your conversations about Agatha Christie are a little bit private, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. Such no. a fanboy. Well, I just think Agatha Christie's weirdly normal. In lots of ways. Really not. Uh, well, we can disagree about that. We should already have done that on the Agatha Christie podcast. Yeah, let's talk Dorothy, about Dorothy. Dorothy Elsayers is, is a bit eccentric, I would say. She was schooled at home up yeah. until she was 16, mainly by her father, but also by a series of governesses. You know, grew up in this quite isolated village on the edge of the Fens. Yes. Did go to Oxford, went to Somerville College, Oxford. Yeah. And she had two years at a school in Salisbury, a boarding school, which she hated. Right. Well, I think she went up to Oxford in 1912, I think I saw. She did. Yeah. And then she graduated with, well, well this is an interesting thing. She, she got first class honours, but she wasn't allowed to get a degree because women weren't allowed to get a degree at that point. Oh, OK. Uh, and I don't think it was until like 1918 that she actually got her degree when they changed the, the rules. Extraordinary. Her last whimsy novel 
football is Gordy Knight, isn't it? Which is set in Oxford. Yeah, at a women's only col- college. Yeah, all the way through her life, she's academic. You know, she's, yeah. she's she's clever. After you know, after the war, she does a famous translation of the Divine Comedy, uh, with notes, and you know, she became a, a high, as it were, a high priest of Anglicanism. You know, yes. she wrote all these. Extraordinary That's all she essays. did, right? She gave up detective novels after Gordy Knight, right? Well. She did give up detective novels after Gordy Knight, and uh, the Oxford Dictionary, which which I think we both thought she gave it up so she, she could write the, the religious stuff. Yeah, a couple of things wrong with that. She wrote that she wrote quite a lot of plays after that, including ah. uh, a twelve part play about the life of Christ. Oh the BBC God. broadcast Blimey. in 1941 is listened to by millions. Apparently, made her you know okay. really made her name. Oh, G.K. Right. Chesterton was a huge admirer of it. Yeah, they were mates, weren't uh, they? And, and C.S. Lewis. You know, she was in that sort of Christian. You know, academic background. Yeah. Well, T. S. Eliot was a fan as well. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, she's in. She's in with the. I mean, she her first uh, passionate love affair was with this guy called John Cornos, who was a friend of Ezra Pound's. So oh. you know, she's in that kind of milieu. Okay. Well, she was eventually sort of happily married, wasn't she? Eventually. I don't think she was ever happily married. Oh, I mean, okay. she, had, she, she developed a series of obsessions with men. This guy, John Cornos, that she fell in love with, turned out to be a, wrong, a wrong'un. Uh, Isn't it because she, she refused to have sex with him in the way that he wanted, out of wedlock? Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. And, uh, but then, and then she met this other guy, uh, this extraordinary story where she had this affair with, I'm trying to find his name, William Bill White. She had this tra- uh, affair with him and he got her pregnant. The baby was given to her relatives, I think her uncle and aunt or yeah, cousin or that's something. right, yeah. She then later got married to this chap called Mac Fleming, and they adopted her son without ever saying he was officially her son. So that's all going on in the 20s. At the same time, she's getting this job as a copywriter in S.H. Benson's. She was there for nine years, very successful. Came out with a mustard club. For Coleman's, well, more importantly, she, the, she worked on the Guinness account. She did. She did, so she, I would definitely she, want she, to she be came her up friend. With a toucan, didn't she? Yeah, she came up. With, yeah, the toucan is the Guinness. She symbol. made some funny poem about a toucan. Yeah, yeah. I never right. understood that. Did you ever understand the link never between Guinness the and the toucan? It was I don't know very, what it was. Really. I tell you, I tell you, that's why she's quite weird. It's a weird reference. <laughs> I like it. So, so by the time we get to 1934, when yeah, this when book is published, she's a couple of years giving it all up. Do you think it's partly to do with the fact that she got so sort of slagged off by the lever sites and by various people about that? I mean, you sent me the Edmund Edmund Wilson wrote a piece called Who Cares Who Killed Roger Ackroyd or something. Is it well, I've got a bit of it here, which I think is salutary. <clears throat> it says here, I've often heard people say that Dorothy Sayers writes well and I felt that my correspondents have been playing her as their literary ace. But really, she does not write very well. It is simply that she is more consciously literary than most of the other detective story writers and that she thus attracts attention in a field which is mostly on a sub-literary level. <laughs> in any serious department of fiction... Her writing would not appear to have any distinction at all. Now, this is good, though. Yet commonplace in this respect, though she is, she gives the impression of brilliant talent if we put her beside Miss Nao Marsh. <laughs> Nao Marsh's first novel came out in 1934, the, uh, by the way. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the rank snobbery and... Uh, you know, misogyny. Uh, misogyny. Yeah. And, but also, you know, the kind of sub-literary. And, you know, it's like, you know... But she was... But she was sort do of playing, one, Edmund. Just do one. I think she was playing that game a bit where, by saying that she wanted to turn her... She'd got fed up with detective fiction. By the time she got to Nine Tailors, she wanted to write novels. Yes. Really, literary novels, and it, but with a with a murder mystery attached, as it were. And I think it's interesting that the Nine Tailors. There is something quite odd going on in terms of the. First of all, you know, the, the actual crime doesn't happen until a long way into the book, and you're kind of going, "Well, 
why am I here and what's going on? Yeah. And she's clearly trying to write a book that's very located in a particular time and place that's about, and then, she, you know, and it, it's a love letter to the Fens and the people of the Fens in lots of ways. It is. The the, the murder mystery is, is, is sort of incidental. So 1934, she's, she, she's married. Yep. Her son's been born, but he's not living with them. Yes, yeah, a terrible year, for politically. Oh, just a grim, grim year. Yeah. I mean, the... the the rise of fascism in Europe is, is also not just in Europe. There was a, a rally for 10,000 fascists of the British Union of Fascists in Birmingham. Yeah. 10,000. Yeah, amazing, right? Hitler became Fuhrer in 1934. Yeah. Well, Hindenburg died, didn't he? The president. Yeah. So he combined the offices of Chancellor and President into the and Fuhrer. And Mussolini started the Abyssinian War. Lovely. Night of the Long Knives. Manchuria yeah. invaded by the Japanese. Yeah, it's all kicking off. Austrian Civil War. French so that's why. That's why. In the given that's going all around you, that's why you write a book about bell ringing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll come on to bell ringing. There are no Nazis in this book, are there? No. Although are it's, there? In, it's in East Anglia, so who knows? <laughs> And there, mounting to the steep pitch of the roof, his eyes were held entranced with wonder and delight, incredibly aloof, flinging back the light in a dusky shimmer of bright hair and gilded outspread wings, soared the ranked angels, cherubim and seraphim, choir over choir, from corbel and hammerbeam, floating, face to face uplifted. My God, muttered Whimsy. Yeah, he shouldn't have said that in a church, should he? <laughs> no, it's a bit disrespectful. Yes. Well, which meant you had to say it in a church, because we're in a church. I'm Whimsy. So uh, having failed to get into any of the churches we've been to so far, because they've all been locked, mm. St Peter's in Upwell... Staggering. ...is open and is... Well, first of all, it's, it's very large, so that is a big tick in its favour for... The candidate it's for extraordinarily St. large Paul's. and elaborate for a small village in the Fens. It does have angels in the roof. It does. They're not gilded. They're not gilded. Presumably they were originally. It is a hammer beam roof. It is a hammer beam roof. And they are spectacular with their wings spread out up in the roof. Yeah. Really Never seen anything like it. No, before. they're amazing. The other big tick is we discovered a door, listener, <laughs> in the corner of the church. Yeah. And we opened the door. And we found the bell ropes. Yeah, only six of them. Yeah, hanging from the. Uh, so we were in the bell tower. We've, That's we've because into the bell tower. The, the, the two ropes have been used for a killing. Yeah, <laughs> there are didn't actually any, eight bells. Didn't hear anyone screaming <laughs> upstairs. The other thing is, it's got a pipe organ. Yes, which they do have in St Paul's, don't they? And then the other thing I like is that the angels on the two side bits are lower down. Yes, aren't they? They are. Yeah, and that if you had a ladder. You could get up there and hide your jewels in there. You could. Yeah, you could. Right? That's a very good point. The idea is is that if you're in that side, you wouldn't be seen if you were were in there up at the altar or where the choir is. Or by the choir. choir, Right? You wouldn't be seen there. No. There was a ladder left out, which in the book there is. Yeah. You could have a sneaky climb up there with nobody realising you're doing it. Well, it'd be easier to do it when there's no one in the church rather than... These are details that Dorothy L. Sayers is not interested in. <laughs> don't, don't pull at those threads. <laughs> but, and, it, and we've got the traditional box pews. We're sitting in the front pew. We have. It's, uh, 
It's yeah. very, very lovely. With lots of handcrafted kneelers made by the community, no doubt. Yeah. You did notice the pub next to it was not a pub anymore, it's no hotel, but you did notice the pub next to it was called the Five Bells. Why would you do that? When there are obviously six bells at this church. Why would you do that? Strange, isn't it? Is there any evidence they added a six bell later? And even if they did, I'd update my pub name. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, to be fair, there was the three boars in Cheadle. There were only two of us in there. <laughs> Best church so far. Uh, well, first one we've got into. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Internally, very good. Very good. Externally, Externally not so good. Externally, not good. Uh, uh, Upwell is too large to be Fenchurch St. Paul. Um, it's right on a drain. Or it's yes, on a r- and it goes up to, cut up to the knee. Right? Well, it's not on a hill. No. The only th- reason this town is here at all is because of pumps. Pumps? The pumps at, yeah. Not, the what, pumps at um, shoes? Wigan Hall St. Germans. And do they dry it out, do they? Well, they pump enough. Yeah, they do. They basically pump enough water from out the, the middle of it so that then it stays dry here. Oh, okay. It's unusually dry here even when other places flood because oh. the pumps are so good. Oh, very good. Had new pumps in 2011. Well, it was our first cafe we found in the Fens as well. Well, so. you were very excited about that, weren't you? You were quite excited as well. Picking out of some kind of well, glum. I showed you a picture of egg and chips on the on the yeah. on the menu. Yeah, you didn't have egg and chips in the end. No, I didn't. We charge people for this content, you know. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, St Peter's and Upwell. In my head, I edited this a long time ago. Yeah, it stopped a while ago. Yeah. Anything else? Actually, the one other. It has a back entrance, not a side entrance. Yeah. The font's in the wrong place, yeah. according to the floor plan in the book. Yeah. The bell tower's not tall enough. Yeah. And it has galleries, and it doesn't have going off fan, it. it doesn't have a fan ceiling. So those are all it. the negatories. You're going off it. But the angels actually save it, don't they? They do. The angels save they it. are fantastic. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club. If you want to hear the second part of our episode on the Nine Tailors, you can do so right now. It's waiting for you on the server as we speak, and you can listen to it without any ads if you subscribe to our Patreon page. Yes, for just £2 a month, you also get, maps. I shall be drawing a map of all the churches of the Fens. Well, you're, on this one, you get maps and spreadsheets That's and a Pinterest page. Yeah, you do. This is like the deluxe version. Deluxe version. It's like one of those Beatles reissues. <laughs> and you get photos and a little bit of video as well, yeah. so that you get a real sense of our journey and our field trips. And for £5, you can even discuss all this with us on a Discord server. Yeah, we've got a nice little community of people chin-wagging away around books and you know we talk about the episodes we've done and the episodes we're doing but we also talk about books that we might do yes. and general kind of booky stuff yes so it's a good vibe on there it is it's, it's it's very nice and i've already read at least two books i wouldn't have read yeah off the recommendation of people who are in there yeah so if you like reading this is a great place there's all kinds of books that you've never heard of somebody yeah. suggested yeah really interesting yeah and we're we're in there most days Talk, replying to people, talking about stuff, you know, it's because uh, we don't have anything else to do. <laughs> now back to the <laughs> podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, you, you're driving me crazy, what did I do? That's torn it, said Lord Peter Whimsey. The car lay helpless and ridiculous, her nose deep in the ditch, her back wheels cocked absurdly up on the bank, as though she were doing her best to bolt to earth and was scraping herself a burrow beneath the drifted snow. Peering through a flurry of driving flakes, Whimsy saw how the accident had come about. The narrow, hump-backed bridge, blind as an eyeless beggar, spanned the dark drain at right angles, dropping plumb down upon the narrow road that crested the dyke, coming a trifle too fast across the bridge, blinded by the bitter easterly snowstorm. He had overshot the road and plunged down the side of the dyke into the deep ditch beyond where the black spikes of a thorn edge stood bleak and unwelcoming in the glare of the headlights. Right and left, before and behind, the fen lay shrouded. It was past four o'clock and New Year's Eve. The snow that had fallen all day gave back a glimmering greyness to a sky like lead. Very good. Well, I'm sorry, said Whimsy. Whereabouts do you suppose we've got to, Bunter? (laughs) So, Bunter... Whereabouts do you suppose we've don't, got to? Don't don't try the role reversal. No, your your Peter Whimsy was poor. <laughs> You're the bunter in this scenario. I thought my Peter Whimsy was excellent. <laughs> now look, mm-hmm. I've brought you to Bedlam Bridge. <laughs> so we're standing via another very wide drain that runs into the distance one way and into the distance the other way. Well, this is one of the... the, It's one of the most nondescript bridges I've ever been stood next to. It's true. I think it's it's replaced what would have been an old humpback bridge. It's actually bridge bridge number 17, I find. Yes. Now, this is a very, very dangerous bit of road that you're uh, you're on. Eastern Daily Press 
Motorists injured and road closed after Renault leaves B1099 near Bedlam Bridge. Mm. 2013. Picture. Oh, it's fallen down the bank. Fallen down the bank. And there's a Hawthorne hedge. Yeah. Unless I'm very much mistaken. That's Whimsy's Renault. Whimsy wouldn't drive a Renault. (laughs) French car. Okay, that's one. Uh, There's more than one, is there? Oh, yeah. Then we get to 2011. Cambridge Times. Yeah. Lucky escape for couple after car plunges into 16-foot drain near Bedlam Bridge. Wow. A young couple managed to escape from their car when it left and plunged into the drain. Saturday's accident came just two days after Roads Minister Michael Penning visited the scene <laughs> with local road safety campaigners. <laughs> of course. Very good. <laughs> Graham Chappell, who launched the Fenland Road Safety Campaign, witnessed the recovery of the Peugeot 206. There's a theme here, and it's French cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, can't <laughs> be occup- trusted. But that's, that's two of them at this bridge. At this bridge. Now, why does that relate to Peter Whimsey? Well, because he crashes his car here. Well, is your contention? Well, it gets better actually because I found a piece on informationbritain.co.uk basically about Dorothy L. Sayers and the Fens. Mm-hmm. And it says here Take care as you drive the back roads to avoid Lord Peter's fate. He always drives too fast. Crossing a humpback bridge at speed and slipping down the ditch beyond it. This, for those who want to reproduce the journey without the outcome, is heading east from March on the B1099, across the 16-foot drain that Sayers transforms into the 30-foot drain in her writing. Mm. This is what he's claiming. Once the road passes the Bedlam Bridge, it turns sharply left. It does. In the Nine Tailors, the Red Cow public house makes an appearance though it is not as vital to the story as the wheat sheaf. And just beyond Bedlam Bridge, there is a pub called the Dun Cow. Is that it there? Well, no, because even better, I've gone one better than than whoever wrote this. Of course, I'm a topper. Right, very good. What I've discovered from uh, Lost Pubs website, listener, come on now. If you haven't got into that site, this must be about my fifth reference to this place. You talk about it a lot. It's very whimsical. But one of the lost pubs round here, mate, is the Wheat Sheaf. At closedpubs.co.uk, the Wheat Sheaf was situated on the 16-foot bank. The publican in 1916 was William Randall. William Randall was my great-grandfather on my mother's side, and he was also a master blacksmith. His forge was located in a small building at the back of the pub cool isn't it the present owners have put a sign on the side of the property and the words are the old wheat sheaf so what you're looking at down there is that the old wheat sheaf is the wheat sheaf pub very good is that the first pub he comes to in the book i can't remember so he does so so basically the wheat sheaf the one well hold on i I will i'll I'll do you a favor here i'll get my notebook out hold on narrow humpback bridge called frog's bridge yeah he it says they then walk a mile down the road towards that way yeah towards Leamholt, i.e king's lynn yeah that's right about a mile there's a windmill on the opposite bank and then about half a mile beyond that there's a signpost and a road to the right and 200 yards on the right is a place called a pub called the wheat sheaf oh so the pub isn't near where he crashes no it's a mile and a half it's at least a mile and a half up there yeah but that about a mile and a half up there is you get where towards the, Upwell, right? If you go up that way. Well, no, where, where you get to is Christchurch. Christchurch, which is where 
Dorothy Sayers's father was rector at Christchurch after he'd been rector at Bluntisham. Oh, I love what you did there. Elegantly done. So we're going to go to Christchurch now then? We've got to go there because apparently there's a, there's a rectory there that's much more like the one in the book. Okay. Although the church is not so So good. we're saying Bedlam Bridge is... Bedlam Bridge, he has an accident here. Nailed on, really, isn't Nailed it? Nailed on that he goes down there to the wheat chief. Yeah. There is actually... But he's coming from over there. He's there is coming... an, By the way, there is a, a pump station about a mile down here on the left that would right. have been... Now is obviously done with a proper engine. Yeah. Would have been a windmill. Uh, is so that the windmill's for, for pumps? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't wear that out. <laughs> Very so good. The windmill's there, the wheat sheaf's there, the dun cow, the red cow is there. It's all good, isn't it? So I think we're at the site... You've of, cracked it, mate. ...of Peter Whimsey's car crash. You've cracked it. And possibly the site of Fenchurch St Paul as well. Yeah, OK. Let's go and have a look. You can't talk about churches without talking about bells, I feel. You can't talk about nine tailors without talking about change ringing of bells. Change ringing. Change ringing. Yes, every chapter of this book has an extract from a, a change-ringing book. A, a manual. And she tries to be clever about matching the plot with bell-ringing terms. Yeah. I Doesn't find quite it a, come off. It's a bit mannered, um, but she's <clears throat> obviously made bell-ringing a central thing. I would say change-ringing, as she talks about it, is something I knew nothing about before reading this yeah. book. Yeah. And nothing. I mean, but I, and I had never made the connection between the very commonplace sound you hear particularly at kind of weddings and funerals it's not tuneless as much as uh, as such you know but it's not playing a tune it's you know it's just yeah uh, it turns out to be incredibly interesting and incredibly complicated yeah amazing <laughs> and very very english it is really english it's, it's almost that... completely unique to england yeah. you know there are maybe a half a dozen places in places like everybody New else Zealand just plays tunes in canada where they do this there's 6,000 change-ringing churches in England still. It's crazy, right? It's just extraordinary. Very So odd. what is it? What is it, Tim? What do they mean by change-ringing? Oh, change-ringing. Okay, let's see if I can explain this. <laughs> I'm not sure I understood this myself, but I'm going well, to... Do you give, want me to have a go? I'll, no, I'll give it a try. Go on. I think the basic idea is you've got 6, 8, 12 differently tuned bells. Yeah. Okay. Usually tuned to a diatonic scale. I Thank find. you very much. Obviously, there's a little one. Ding! Yeah. And there's a big one. Oh, we're going to get sound, we're get sound effects. And there's Superb. the ones in the middle. This is better than I could possibly have imagined. All right, children. <laughs> <laughs> the point is that then you can play them in any order, can't you? You can. And uh, any sensible person would think, oh, great, well, if I've got eight bells, I've got a scale of yeah. some sort, yeah. and I could play a tune, an actual tune, yeah. which is what most other people in the world do. Yeah. But no, 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 not the English. Not the English. They've decided to go all mathematical on it yep. and go, oh, isn't that interesting? You can play all the bells in any order. Yeah. What if you tried to play all the different orders all at once? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How would that be? Yeah, so obviously yeah. if you've got six bells, that then the number of orders you can do is six times five times 
four times three times one, right? Yeah. Uh, is that right? No, I think it's more than that, actually. But yeah, okay. I mean, basically, and the number of bells, it goes... But you see what I mean? How by the time you get is. to eight bells, there's like millions of combinations. That's right. And it takes you a long time to do it. Yeah. So you could be several hours yeah. going from one sequence to the other. And chain ringing is also about the art of moving from one, one sequence, sequence other, mathematical yeah. sequence, to another. Well, there's is two right? ways of doing that. You can either have a change ringer who's basically shouting out the sequences. Okay. In the, uh, Are they all got, and they've all got names, right? The bells. No, the sequences. Oh, they... Oh, well, yeah, no, the change ringer will shout out the sequence. But then okay. the, there's another way of doing it, which is called method ringing. Method ringing, method I like ringing, it. Which is where you basically have a formula for working out what the sequence is. Oh. And that's the thing that has names. Yeah. So a sequence might be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. But then the second time you play it, the two and the one might swap round. So then it becomes two, one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And, the next, and they talk about bells kind of running up and down the scale. So the the one might then go into third position. So it goes two, three, one, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh right? my god! And this is a simple one. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the one gets to the end, and then it all starts again, and you do the whole thing. So you can play for hours and hours and hours and hours and never repeat yourself because you know, there's so many <laughs> different combinations. So I can't remember how many thousands it is. is it nine thousand. It's a huge uh, amount turns they play in the book. So. Dorothy L. Sales, you can see why she'd be interested because she's quite interested in her books of having sort of acrostics and crosswords and puzzles and anagrams very to much reveal so. stuff. So the idea <clears> that there could be a secret hidden within the bell sequence is very interesting, isn't it? it? Obviously really something that she immediately drew her to that and yeah. something as part of a mystery novel would be good. Yeah. What I was interested in is that by the 20th century, they had to have a sort of purge of the bell ringers because of their unruly behaviour. Did you know oh, really? about this? Really? Yeah, you, you told me before that this, this thing sort of flourished in the uh, restoration period. Well, the first book on the technique of bell ringing was written by Fabian Stedman. Yeah. So you hear about Stedman's a lot. Yeah. He was a printer in Cambridge, and he wrote his the magnificently titled Tintinologia, or The Art of Ringing, published in 1668. Plain and easy rules for ringing all sorts of plain changes. Yeah. So Stedman, I mean, can you imagine anybody who's had as much influence on the sonic landscape of Britain than that? Well, apart from Malcolm McLaren, no. <laughs> that's that's true. Yes. <laughs> do you think you can do Buffalo Girls on a church? You, almost certainly. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the 1800s, it, became, it involved swearing, smoking and a barrel of beer in the tower. Well, they have a barrel of beer in the tower in the, yeah. uh, in the book. Some belfries became notorious as the meeting place of the village riffraff <laughs> who indulged in heavy drinking and riotous behaviour. And extreme bell ringing, shredding on the bells. A deep rift developed between ringers and clergy. Very good. It's good, isn't it? I, I like this. <laughs> they actually had an act in Parliament that they had reform, a church reform act that because involved of, also making the vicars uh, being in charge of access to the oh, bell tower. This is, this, this is like the story of England, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know ordinary people have a laugh and yeah. you know, turn it into something clear and then the, the powers that be go, oh, no, no, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and this is why we noticed this, that many churches had the floor of the ringing chamber removed and the ropes lengthened so that the ringers now performed in full view of the congregation so they couldn't have a little private room where they were getting pissed. Well, the one we went to, well, St Peter's Upwell didn't have that. It was no. in a separate room. I know. Well, they obviously kept up the traditions of unruly behaviour. You, you can have your beer in there and off you go. But from the 1830s <clears throat> onwards, the, the vicars fought they back. They made it boring again. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. They did. And then it, and then it became... I can't like that. They'd have a rock and roll bell ringing era. Yeah, again. Very good. 
and obviously then became less popular as a result. So the Marky were... Smith, who was the Marky Smith of bell ringing? <laughs> See, that's right. Can you imagine? He'd yeah. be in that Berry Church. Yeah. If it's if it if it's me and six bell ringers, it's the fall. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Here is the rectory, just opposite the church. Here is the rectory. Here is the rectory. Oh, here is the rectory. Here is the rectory. <laughs> Here is the rectory, just opposite the church. I always blow my horn at the gate for fear anybody should be about. The bushes make it so very dark. Ah, safely negotiated. I'm sure you will be glad to get into the warm and have a cup of tea, or possibly something stronger. I always blow my horn at the door, so as to tell my wife I am back. Pop 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 pop. She gets nervous when I'm out after lighting up time. Pop pop. So we are uh, sitting outside... What is the where's the church? It's just called the Church of Christ. The yes. Church of Christ. Hence Christ Church. Christ Church. Because we're in the village of Christ Church. Where Dorothy L says father came to be rector after he was in Bluntisham. And, uh, the rectory is a very good candidate for the rectory in the book. It's good, isn't it? Because very the impressive building surrounded by bushes with a driveway. Yeah, which, which you, you might want to beep your horn when you're coming out of there. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a bendy. The church is not such a good candidate. It's quite a small church. Yeah. No, no good at tower. All. No, very no beautiful. good at all. We stood, we stood on a bench, uh, stood on a bench, sat on a bench around the back. And uh, you discovered there's a, a headstone in the ground mm. for Dorothy L. Sears. A memorial mother, plaque. A memorial plaque because they didn't wish to be buried in a marked grave. No, um, they're that modest. They were that modest. And yet, when she became very famous, somebody had the bright idea of saying, we should forget their modesty. We should we should d- deny them their agency now that they are dead. That's right, quite right. Do what we want to do. By putting a memorial plaque there, a number of podcasters will come. Yes. I hadn't realised that her parents died so close together. Yeah. And her father died in 1928, and then her mother died in 1929. And we think... This book is written or published in... 34. 30, 34, is it? And, uh, and we're we think it's set in 1930, aren't we? Yeah. So... It's, it's a little g- goodbye. And it took her, actually, no. not only did it come out in 1934, it took a long time to write. Because she, mm-hmm. had, she had to pause in the middle and write another novel, the advertising one, because it was, this was taking too long to finish. So she probably started it very soon after her parents died. Oh. So the whole thing's a memorial to her parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely a love letter to the landscape, so she isn't put it? the big church with the eight bells, because her dad loved bells, yes. on the site where they died. Mm-hmm. I'm filling up there. That's good though, isn't it? That's very good. No, I'm, I'm buying it. Do you know this place used to be called Brimstone? No way. <laughs> yes. It changed its name from Brimstone to Christchurch. Yes. <laughs> isn't that funny? <laughs> That's very good. It was called Brimstone Hill. There's a, some dispute here as to why it was called Brimstone. Right. They claimed that it was called Brimstone because of the smell of rotting vegetation. Ooh. Or, if you want a nice bit of mythology, it was because the brimstone butterfly was very common in the area. Well, this slightly begs the question. Why is the brimstone butterfly called the brimstone butterfly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, now, apparently there are two rather magnificent large oil paintings in this church. One depicts Christ crowned with thorns and the other his descent from the cross. Now, these were donated to the church by the local landowner, which he'd obviously he'd nicked them from it on his Italian tour. <laughs> nice. But the reason the Do name nick them or buy jumped them? out at me is that the, the person who lives in a big hall in Denver, in the book, yeah. is... Uh, Sir Peter Whimsey's... Lord Whimsey's Lord, brother. Lord, yeah, older Peter, brother. His older brother, the Duke yeah. of Denver, right? But actually, the big family that, that lives in the hall in Denver are the Pratts. Are they? And it was uh, Sir Roger Pratt right. who um, donated these two paintings. So the big family around here is the Pratts. Okay. So I'm putting it to you is he should be called Lord Peter Pratt. But he is a Pratt. <laughs> That's like... I was enjoying. Yeah, I was enjoying that coming down to down the pipe. He's a Pratt, though, isn't he? <laughs> Are you one of the Denver Pratts? <laughs> I am actually. <laughs> so I'm, I'm loving that theory. I'm loving the theory. That. The composite church theory of the Nine Tailors. The composite church theory of the Nine Tailors. I should be writing a paper on it. <laughs> you probably should. You probably could. <laughs> I'm liking the idea that we then plonk this composite church in Christchurch. Yeah. Right near the the uh, nice little memorial plaque for Dorothy's parents. Or well, the rectory works. The yeah. distance from the car crash works. And I was rather moved with the idea that she'd written this book as a kind of farewell to her parents, having them having died in 1928, 29. Yeah. And then this book, we think, is probably set in 1930. We do. We'll come to that. Yeah. I found that quite emotional. I thought, oh, yeah. no, this, I like this book more now because it is a kind of... Felt right, didn't it? Yeah, it's right right where her heart is, yeah. as it were. So that's the end of part one. That's the end of the church hunt, in that sense. Yeah. Apart from in the next one, we're going to just go and check out where these carved angels might be. Yeah. But our main thing to talk about is that in the last third of this book, it's about a third, there's a massive flood. There's a massive flood. That Peter Whimsey has to deal with. Well, he has to drive up and down the bank insanely, doesn't he? I don't think he's any help about at all, is he? About five times he drives I mean, the, to the sluice and back, going, the vic- it's coming, the water's coming! The vicar's more helpful, I would say. I think everybody's more helpful than him. <laughs> Do you not feel? <laughs> Just put a roof on your car, you idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to talk, talk about sluices, gates, drains, rivers, floods, floods great fens. floods. We've also got some ice skaters and some bandy to talk about. Oh, yeah. I'll explain what bandy is in the next episode. If you want to hear that episode right now, because we have already recorded it, um, it's already on the server. It's waiting for you if you are a Patreon subscriber. So if you go over to patreon.com and search for Curiosity Specific, bung in a couple of quid, you can listen to it right now without any ads. Otherwise, we'll see you in a week. Yes, you better put your galoshes on, I'd say. I'll put my ice skates on, I think. Okay. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.